0: everyone welcome to another episode of classic gaming brothers Uh, i'm seth and i'm zach and we're the classic gaming
1: brothers we are the classic gaming brothers
0: that's right that's
1: right (laughs) (laughs) we're done let's (laughs) wrap it up (laughs) i wanted to say something different than that's right so that's why i was like i gotta i gotta say something different i gotta say something different because i always say it and then then you said it anyway so
0: and then i said it anyway Yeah. yeah well that's it that's thanks for joining us for this episode <laughs> of classic episode. gaming brothers <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, we'll get in. All right. So, if you're joining us for the first time, that was probably one of our worst intros. But uh, we do we break our podcast down into three segments. We have our uh, recently played games, where we talk about games that we've been recently playing. Uh, we've been we have our middle segment, which we talk about our topic of the week, and then we have our byway pass segment. That's at the end of the show, where we talk about what uh, we're excited about buying, waiting, or passing on. So, uh, Zach. What have you been uh, recently been playing? Yeah, so <laughs> I'm
1: You're laughing. Still laughing from the intro? No, I'm laughing because I know what I've been recently playing. I, <laughs> oh, I've, that's fair. I, I've been recently playing a game that, um, for some context, and as we've discussed before in previous episodes, our father liked to pick up a lot of, uh, I would say, budget titles from places like Buck a Book yes. and. Uh, uh, ocean state job lot and <laughs> places like that and every now and then he would bring home demo discs and seth and i have discussed this we're probably going to do a full episode on demo discs someday because it's we have a, a lot of memories of demo discs <laughs> There's um, most
0: of our games were uh demo disc games that we never got to see the end of
1: exactly so <laughs> I figured, I I remembered one of the games that I played on a demo disc, and I decided I was going to download a copy of it and get it to run on my modern computer, which I was able to do with some difficulty, but I got it done. And that is a game called Hype the Time Quest. Um, So Hype the Time Quest was developed by Ubisoft Montreal, published by Ubisoft, Mm -hmm. and is a licensed game for the playmobile toys <laughs> which is
0: yeah which is like the little the little people except they have opposable legs
1: yeah so playmobile is like what happens if little people and legos had like some weird merged version of them together it, it's like boring legos
0: <laughs> off or um uh, offshoot duplos
1: yeah yeah Maybe. like offshoot duplos yeah. uh hype the time quest is set in this it has almost nothing to do with Playmobil besides the figures that look like playmobiles it's set in this yeah. like f- a fake medieval world you play as a, a a knight who is traveling through different time periods to get back to his own time um i'm looking at the box art now for it apparently a review from uh, some magazine, which I can barely read the name of the magazine because it's a pixelated box art cover, it says the PC's answer to the Legend of Zelda. And all I've got to say to that is, it's like Legend of Zelda, but if no one knew what Legend of Zelda was. <laughs> yeah, That's,
0: it's, it's, it's definitely not the PC's answer to the Legend of Zelda. No, it is. I don't think it's the answer to any question. It's,
1: it has surprisingly good reviews for the time, though. GameSpot gave it an eight out of ten. GameSpy gave it an eighty uh, percent. IGN gave it a seven point eight. Out of ten, st- I don't know who was reviewing this game. It's not that good, but it's it's a game.
0: <laughs> I remember, uh, I remember GameSpy and you having to like log in to do anything with stuff. Yeah, like it was like GameSpy was simultaneously like a like a publishing company, like for like reviews and and also it had like a the weird like software they had to log in and they it would be it would have like this weird like login where it was like let's get on with the killing" or something yeah yeah yeah,
1: i remember that um (laughs)
0: Uh, so yeah maybe uh, i'm blending my memories but anyway hype the time quest hype the
1: time quest yep so um i'm i'm finally gonna try to see the end of that game after only playing the demo for i probably played that demo like a hundred times
0: i'm gonna i'm gonna guess that that ending is going to be anticlimactic probably right right from the rip it's gonna end the credits are gonna roll and that's it. And but that's going to be a, to, a disappointed
1: period of my life.
0: <laughs> that's Hey, you know what? But, but you'll always have closure.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: You'll, you'll have closure on something that you've always wanted closure on. It's like when I went back and beat Dragon Sphere for the first time. I've now beaten Dragon Sphere more than once. Um, but uh, it was all because of that EMS extended RAM issue on the computer. We were never able to see the end of Dragon Sphere. Right, right, and, right. Uh, and I was able to complete it, and I was very happy. And then I've beaten it um, a, f- a few times since then.
1: Uh, so, Seth, what have you been playing?
0: So, I have been playing a game that had came out after a little while uh, by uh, Telltale, which is a defunct studio. Uh, it's in The Walking Dead property and it's uh the new frontier which is kind of like almost the middle of the series okay so there's season uh the there's the original walking dead the then they had the walking dead two sequel i'm not exactly i'm blanking on what the actual name for that was so they just call and that season there, two they might have been just season two yeah and then there was uh the walking dead season three the new frontier, and then lastly, there's the final season, which is Walking Dead four. Um, so it it is uh, it's good. I like the story. I I'm a sucker for Telltale uh, story arcs. I I loved all their games. I understand that there was some internal company issues with Telltale as a company. Yeah. Where they overworked their employees and had these tough deadlines and it just overall was uh kind of sometimes came off as rushed products and Mm. the games were a little buggy and all that and that shows in um the new frontier and so that that it shows, but it's still a good story. I'm halfway through the game, so I'm pretty much halfway through the entire series. I played the first episode. So the Walking Dead series was a part it was an episodic gaming where the games would come out in chunks. So you would it'd be like you would subscribe to a season or you could buy one episode at a time. It's usually the first episode came free. It was kind of like a hook to get yeah. you in. And then, or at a very discounted rate, and then you would buy the rest of the season, and then over months, the, the rest of the game would come out. Right, um, right, right. It kind of worked. For me, I had some uh, att- attrition issues where I would really play the first episode, enjoy it, and then just put it down and just never beat it. And it could be like a really good story, and which is what I'm experiencing now since the new Frontier came out a, a while ago. Um, since they've have now since gone released another Walking Dead series and they also have gone defunct. So I mean they've they've done some work since I've since New Frontier has since I played the original yeah seriously. episode one. Um, and I I actually really I'm digging the story and I think I'm gonna I'll I'll finish it up. Um. Probably sometime next week or in a week or so, I'll probably finish it up. They're not super long games; they're generally about five hours a chapter. Uh So you think five hours a chapter, five chapters, you get twenty-five hours for a game, and it's not bad for us. They do say all your story, all your choices, kind of change the game, right? And that's kind of true (laughs) um so if you're familiar with the telltale series games you know that they always say that but then the the story still unfolds the same way that it would if you did all the other choices right right and it's and it's it's also interesting there is some choices that they say that they're trying to give you like big moral choices and then you see the like what everybody else did, and it'll be like 90% of the players chose this. I'm like, that's not really a moral choice. You're just either um, bucking the trend, as it were, deliberately, or you're going with the kind of the obvious choice.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah, no, that's it's a valid criticism, I think, of of that type of that type of game.
0: Yeah, and I I think there are other series and other games that give you. Uh, better choices and actually change the story um actually i just read an article about mass effect and it they said that the it was like some high 89 like 80 percent of all players went the paragon route originally oh. or like their true playthrough yeah and the mass effect developers were sad because they did a lot of work for the renegade side oh. um so they're like no one's really seeing it if everybody's going paragon and uh, I now, so I'm one of those Mass Effect players for the original trilogy who played through every game twice, one way Paragon, one way Renegade, just mm-hmm. to see the different stories. And yes, the game is different if you play as a Renegade versus a Paragon. That's cool. And and it's it definitely changes um, the out. I mean, the end of Mass Effect of Mass Effect Three is is kind of a you a decision that you can make regardless of your entire back history of playing through the game but uh at the end it does change the whole story of the game which is i think interesting um and i think some so some other i feel like telltale yes this the choices are kind of dramatic and they time you for your choices but do they change the
1: story overall eh,
0: not really but so that's what uh i've been uh, recently been playing
1: well cool well to get into the the meat of our podcast, coming um, kind of completely different from what uh, Seth's been playing, um, but I guess there's some similarities to what I've been playing just because I referenced. Uh, the, there was a reference to uh, something that's on this thing. Uh, basically, we're going to be talking about, uh, we talked about the Sega Genesis, we talked about the NES, we talked about the Super Nintendo. So now it's time we get on to the N64, which was the other video game system that we owned besides the Sega Genesis and the NES. We also owned an N64 for a period of time.
0: That's true. It's true. And you know, it's great if the if the listener li- reads the show notes, they'll know what we're going to be talking before we talk about it
1: that's so right it's
0: like we don't even have to segue they just know when we start you know not I, talking I, about recently played games i know you want to segue but
1: well it's good I to segue to for those listeners who maybe are driving and can't uh read the show notes oh that's true
0: <laughs> that's true i it's it's very true that's um
1: Anyway, uh, so Seth and I do have we have a little bit of history with the N64. We, we had friends who had it, so we got to play it before we owned uh, one for ourselves. And then we, yes. we ended up getting one for ourselves, and we ended up kind of accruing some games and stuff for it and uh, having some good memories. But anyway, Seth, uh, what are your memories of the N64? Um,
0: so my memories of the N64 are the uh, parties that I would do um, with my friends. So I would we would go over. um, I I had a friend who I I was in with in uh, middle school and we would go over to his house and everybody from the class would go over and we'd play N64 all night. And that would be a, a GoldenEye, or we'd be playing uh, Super Smash Brothers, oh, yeah. or uh, Mario Party, and we would just be going through, and that's all we'd do. We'd start playing as soon as we got there, and we'd stopped playing when our parents came to pick us up, and it was, it was pretty much a all-night affair. I also had uh, one of my uh, close friends, Matt, had an N64, and I also really remember... Uh, playing uh some racing games with them uh-huh. and as uh, I'm not and I have uh, some specific games once we get kind of like really into it um that I'll go into but I'm not really a uh, a, a racing game person but I was you know I did when you know Matt was playing them I would play them and I, I enjoyed it at the time I was always really bad at them uh, Matt was very good at them and I would just crash my car but that's <laughs> kind of how life is
1: yeah what about um,
0: what about you what are your memories of uh the n64 well, my
1: memories are fairly similar i mean i remember playing uh we ended up getting a copy of Goldeneye uh 007 i remember playing that um at home i remember you would always play as Oddjob, Odd and then yep. our father would always play as mishkin played by yep. uh robbie coltrane um yep. and i think i always wait played, no that's
0: valentine
1: or valentine played by robbie coltrane and i always uh played as orimov i think who is the russian yes. just the russian general um <laughs> and you have
0: uh, to you have to turn off the uh, auto aim
1: that's right especially when you're playing as uh as especially as playing as a job and it was even more fun when you did uh slappers only which was no yes. no guns but just your hands and you did uh oh what was the game mode called i think it was just called uh license to kill oh, where it would be a yeah, one to, to kill it's one kill, kill. Yep. yeah yep. or
0: uh proxy mines
1: proxy mines yeah where you can set up little explosives that would just go off when everyone anyone's near um i also remember I, I remember the game just being a fun single player uh game too i mean you uh i was a little too young to play or to watch the james bond movies i don't know why i was was the perfect age to play them though so. but uh i remember when i eventually did watch a golden eye um you know a few years after i played the game they they did a really good job keeping the game as close to the movie as they could have gotten with the um with what was available to them i mean the the settings are almost um they match it nearly perfectly besides being you know a little lower resolution
0: <laughs> right yeah and i actually i watched golden eye the movie and uh, I, I really like, enjoyed the movie, and they do, they do do a pretty faithful job of retelling the movie in a N64 game, which is, I think, still pretty impressive for them.
1: So GoldenEye was developed by Rare, which was a software developer for... Um, they're a third-party developer that they developed for um, different Nintendo systems. Um, and I think they later went on to develop for more systems, and eventually they are purchased by Microsoft. Um, but Rare was best known for making games like Donkey Kong Country and uh, they later met, made some um, fighting games like Killer Instinct. Uh, they also made a couple of uh, platforming games for the N64 such as Banjo-Kazooie and Banjo-Tooie and of course they made Goldeneye 007 and then they followed up Goldeneye with what they would call a spiritual successor to Goldeneye which was Perfect Dark. Um, so Perfect Dark uh, uses an improved version of the GoldenEye eye engine um, and you play as a female spy named joanna dark um, and you do spy things uh, but perfect dark was cool because it used what was called the n64 expansion pack which boosted the system's ram slightly and uh it allowed you to actually do um two-player co-op for the story mode which was something that really wasn't around back then uh, for a first person shooter and that was kind of a really cool thing to do is to play um you know this game side by side with a friend um going through the storyline um as you would with a normal uh you know single player missions
0: right yeah there weren't there were not a lot of uh co-op games at the time that were able to go through like story together with somebody there was a lot of multiplayer games yeah um and a lot of split screen games and i think that i i was just actually looking at um just for a little history on the n64 uh the the console was released in north america in 1996 which happened in uh september and it was a it was named because it was a 64-bit central processing. Uh, it had a central, a 64-bit CPU, and it was the last console to uh, use the cartridge as a primary storage method.
1: Yeah, the last uh, um, until at least... the Switch. Yeah, yeah. Um, it really, the last, uh, the last home console. At least, I mean, the Game Boy Advance used it for a bit, but. Um, yeah until the switch it was the last yeah, the, the
0: last thing that you plugged into your tv until the switch yeah. uh, it came it was i i mean nintendo always has uh weird formats i guess for like even the gamecube it used a cd but it always used like these tiny little cds yes um, yeah yeah but... and the little teeny ones um it was uh a it was the fifth uh the fifth generation of gaming system which uh the, its direct competitors were the playstation and the uh, sega saturn and uh, the playstation did very well and the sega saturn um did not
1: uh. yeah and what was interesting was the the reason nintendo decided to stick with cartridges um it, it wasn't that they never utilized cds or or rather discs um they'd already developed disc-based um Programs for um, their Famicom system back in the 80s, Um, and they actually had worked with Sony on developing uh, potential um, Super Nintendo cd add-on which was um canceled and later became the playstation uh essentially what it boiled down to was cds at the time were just not um they weren't fast enough for what nintendo wanted to do and 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 that has a point to it i mean while the playstation has really good audio and and some pretty good visuals there is load times with playstation games because of there is is long load times yeah um so cartridges are instant there was no loads load times that really to speak of i mean There's some but it's it's they're always consistent you don't have to worry about the cd skipping or anything like that you know the the cartridge you pop it in and it's good to go as long as it's clean and so while they had while they weren't able to get cd quality music on most of their games without sacrificing you know different things um they were still able to produce uh produce games that were quick and that could load um as quickly as possible and not have people having to worry about wait times um, right. That, that was what they were worried about.
0: Yeah, and and I think that it it did as I mean Sega Saturn eventually morphed into the Dreamcast, and the Dreamcast was the last of the Sega systems. But uh, so obviously the successful ones were Super uh, the Nintendo sixty four and uh, the PlayStation, which have now are iterated out into the Nintendo Switch and the PlayStation five coming
1: out. Yeah, right around the corner.
0: The. Nintendo 64 launched with uh, three games two that were uh, released um, in like with in North America and then one was that was exclusively to Japan uh, the two games that came out with it uh, were Super Mario 64 which is a staple and I'm everyone should be aware of it if you're familiar with the 64 and pilot wings 64 yeah and pilot wings was an interesting game that I feel like people. It was fun, but a lot of it came from people played with it because they only had two games. Yeah. So, <laughs>
1: um, so yeah.
0: they bought it. Play. They bought an N64. They brought it home. They had two games: Mario 64 and Pilot Wings. So they played Mario 64 and loved it. And then they're like, "All right, let's try this Pilot Wings game." And it's a it's a good, it's a fun game. It's you play as these pilots who have to land gliders into, like, a landing zone after getting, like, different rings. Like, there's, like, these rings that you have to fly through, and then there's a land... And you have to land, like, perfectly in the spot, and you get these different classes of vehicles. You're flying, like, a glider or a gyrocopter, and it, it, like, slowly falls to the earth, and you have to kind of use different, like going down and going up to kind of gain air time and stuff like that. And there's also like you can get a rocket belt and it was interesting uh the characters that were in it were pretty uh interesting looking too. They were very cartoony, very uh uh exaggerated. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. It it was developed and published by Nintendo. Uh I I think mostly for probably a uh kind of proof of concept type of situation. And it was one of the uh, the original one of the one of the three launch titles. Um, the launch, the title that was released solely in Japan. I'm going to uh, is translated to the strongest habu Shoji, Oh, and it's a virtual board game for the Nintendo 64. And it was published by Seda, And it was one of the original launch games. And it was the only launch game to use the controller pack. And the game's special guest is the shogi player Yoshira Habu, who won all seven major shoji championships of the game's release. So he he's a, a person who is a, a... So the game was a, a, sh- a shogi game, which is a board game.
1: Yeah, it's, 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 so, uh, it's similar to like... It's in the same family as like chess.
0: So you got Mario 64, Pilot Wings, and chess.
1: that's right three very different games i mean um extremely different games yeah um for anyone who's never played mario 64 it's it's the plumbers first uh jump into 3d and it's very very good i mean it still holds up to this day in my opinion Um, oh absolutely yeah it's um it really perfects 3d movement and 3d camera work which was a wholly new concept when this game came out. I mean, people hadn't really no idea how to make these games in 3d and they, they essentially perfected what became a standard for 3d platformers for a period of time. Um, and people would copy the design um, for, yeah. for years to come. Um, and Nintendo still basically uses the same the same kind of logic yeah. in building their games yeah. with like Mario Odyssey
0: yeah Mar- even the what is the the yeah Mario Odyssey uh, Super Mario Galaxy the Sun Super Mario Sunshine. Um, all of these games are very similar to, it's just Super Mario 64 with better, like newer graphics and a different story. Yeah. And that's, but it's sales, same core gameplay. And they actually, in the, uh, H, in the HTC Vive store, there is different areas that you can use as like your home as a were, uh-huh. And... One of the homes that you can download for free from the workshop that somebody did was the entirety of Super Mario 64 in VR. So you can go to every world in Mario 64 in VR oh, and cool. experience the game in VR. Oh, nice. It's, um, it's not really playable per se um but it's definitely interesting going into that world from the eyes of mario yes yeah. that is uh where it's using high fidelity vr graphics and it, it's very interesting i i recommend it if you have a vr uh equipment there's just go to the workshop and you should be able to see the super mario 64 uh rebuild for the uh the home and uh, it's not a game it's just uh like a kind of place that you can hang out in but it's still it's still really really cool nice it's kind of cool
1: well keeping along in the idea of moving uh 2d um, staples over to 3d uh the n64 was also where nintendo decided to make the leap with zelda and launched the legend of zelda ocarina of time um which is another game Ocarina. oh uh yeah ocarina ocarina uh
0: i call it ocarina yeah
1: um ocarina Ocarina. wouldn't you say
0: that too because aren't you from boston
1: ocarina um so (laughs) yes (laughs) um uh, in in any case uh ocarina of time is one of those games like super mario 64 that still holds up very well to this day um it is a full-on 3d adventure game action game um you you play it as link um you go back in time and or into the future and back into the past and and you travel a- around this massive world uh 3d world in 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 a very almost um open world type of setting um yeah it, it it wasn't open world as we know it today it wasn't like grand theft auto open world but it was open world enough that it felt like you could do really whatever you wanted in that game um, for, for someone for, 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 you know, that type of game in that time. And you could,
0: you could um, do different missions, uh, not necessarily in the order that it was like, you could go do the, um, what is it? The Goron world, go to yeah. go the Goron world before you help out the, uh, fish people, the Zora people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's yeah. certain so missions you, could you can
1: do, do different orders in, um,
0: in different orders. Exactly. Yeah. And then they there it was also a big pub, puzzler, and so there was uh, a lot of different puzzle aspects to it. There were music puzzles that you had to solve using your ocarina, mm-hmm. and that you could teleport around to the game and be able to, like Zach said, go to the future in the f- past. And uh, it came out in '98. And so that was the, one of the, uh, earlier, uh, it's so two years after the N64 came out, they came, they hit the Nintendo, hit the, hit the field with legends of Zelda. And, and then in 2000, they released Majora's mask, which was a a sequel, which was a lot more in regards in tune to like time manipulation as Mm, well. Yes. But that way, that one was like, uh, where, the Majora's Mask was like the Legend of Zelda uh what Groundhog Day so (laughs) you just like you are you repeat the same couple of days over and over and over again trying to do different things as you as you try to get to the like the perf I don't know the perfect end or like the like the the as you try to accomplish the goals that are set before you.
1: Yeah. Um, and for some brief history on Majora's Mask, it was developed um, originally. I believe the intention was to create a game for, there was a, there was a Japanese only disc based add-on for the N64. They originally wanted to create kind of a, uh, a master quest or a harder version of the of Ocarina of Time. And so while there's development of that, they're planning a different project kind of as what would become uh, majora's mask and when uh the the n64 dd the disk drive didn't do as well they decided to move transition over to a cartridge based uh game um and eventually it got the american uh, north american release
0: yes and the the 64 dd was a big disk drive that went under the n64
1: yeah it kind of looks like a kind of looks like a like a cd player if like for a car <laughs> like yeah <laughs> it looks it, it's very bulky
0: Yes, and it would yeah, it would sit under the under the carriage of the N sixty four, raising it up, and uh, it it got delayed, and it just did not do well.
1: Um, I do know that a uh, a version of the N sixty four DD was planned for North American release. They actually got as far as developing um what would have been the demo model so not the like prototype test models and like not the the, like development kits but the actual like piece that would have gone and sat in stores and stuff like that um to demo the system um but they never brought any of the games over to it um so the only reason i know that exists is uh there's a youtuber named uh, metal jesus who actually stumbled upon one Um, kind of by chance, and has it in his collection. It's one of the only ones in existence.
0: So during this time, Pokemon was on the rise, and they did release a few Pokemon games for the N64. Uh, There was Pokemon Snap and Pokemon Stadium. And Pokemon Stadium, I, I believe you could import your... You could plug your game in somehow to the game and you could import your characters yeah. into the game and um, you could fight them with your friends for the first time in on a big screen you, you could always fight by using the link cable as it were with the Game Boys but there was some there was some aspect where you could bring your pokemon from your pokemon game into the stadium to then fight your friends so that was very exciting and then and pokemon fighting is kind of like the coolest things especially for kids who oh yeah grew up with pokemon um more so maybe zach than i i had i was a red blue pokemon guy and then kind of drifted out from that but pokemon snap was a like a on-rail photograph comp- game where you would ride through on a little cart and you try to get good photographs of the pokemon like a safari yeah and you would try to, like, use different things. Like, you'd throw, like, a Pokeball at them. Or you would, like, throw, like, carrots or something at apples, them to get yeah. them to do some... Apples, yeah. you peg them with apples. And they would do stuff. And then you would take a picture after the you threw the apple. And you were trying to score points. And the more points you got, the more courses you unlocked. And you would be able to take, like, different... And you'd be able to take more photographs of different Pokemon. And you maybe there'd maybe be, like, a few seconds where, like... A, a rare pokemon would show up on the screen and you have to play the map over and over and over and over and over again to be able to try and see it because that's what pokemon games end up being kind of grindy but <laughs> oh, it did have some how it is it did
1: have some cool moments um i, I know did. i know that there, there was ways to unlock um one of the ways you unlocked like levels to get to the next level is you had to like there's one instance where you had to i think you had to throw something at a wall and then a porygon would pop out and hit a button and then it would divert you onto a different path um and that would be how you unlock like one of the later levels um so there's some cool little um kind of uh, almost puzzly solving elements to it you know right um it definitely kept you a little more entertained than just taking photos uh,
0: <laughs> right 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 there was definitely yeah it was definitely like a puzzly
1: game as well and and um, all of these characters and more were included in in um, a crossover fighting game, which was developed by Hal, called Super Smash Brothers. Um, mm. The first being on the N64, in a sequel on the on the GameCube, and since then, there's been a version on every Nintendo system ever made. <laughs>
0: right. right. And it's, it's become memes and all of that.
1: Yes. So, um, Smash Brothers was really cool. A develop- the guy who actually went, uh, was the creator of Kirby, Masahiro Sakurai, um and one of the developers at hal laboratory um was really interested in making a fighting game and he wanted his initial idea was like it was just going to be like essentially like just generic fighters fighting each other um and he showed it to satoru iwata who was working at nintendo and they kind of both decided that it would be interesting if they, like, did something more with this game. And they wanted a way to show it to Nintendo and have them be interested in it. So they they actually put, like, Mario and Donkey Kong and Samus and stuff in it. Um, having the, Which would that, be all
0: of their intellectual property.
1: Yeah, fighting with each other. But they never got approval from anyone else in Nintendo to do this. <laughs> um, so he showed them this demo that he created with these characters fighting and, like, punching each other pretty much anticipating that Nintendo was going to like everyone else in Nintendo was going to just shoo it down. Um, and they, it it was approved. Um, they said, yeah, let's go for it. And, um, they, they went on to, to develop the, develop the game. Um, and it was kind of, it's really cool. The original game, I mean, was very, it was very simple. It only has a few, um, a few characters in it and some unlockable characters such such as Ness from Earthbound or Luigi. Um, but it was, a, it was a fun little game. You got to play as uh, some of your favorite characters and and, and beat them up. <laughs> right. uh, I mean, it's one of the few games where uh, you could play as uh, uh, Mario and punch Pikachu right in the face. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: it's, it, was, it was up to, yeah, four combatants at one time. And there was a limited... The original uh, Super Smash Brothers had the only 12 playable race bar white races if 12 playable <laughs> characters from yeah. the yeah, different aliens right <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, Kirby, you know. <laughs> you yeah. Kirby or, or found guy uh, Ness and uh all those guys together and those 12 playable characters and would duke it out and it was interesting seeing uh mario fighting star fox fighting samus fighting link fighting uh pikachu and all that yeah all 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 at once kind of um a thing and it also brought kind of uh brought people who like maybe didn't know the earthbound series but you might got you might have gotten interested because you saw Ness or something in uh, super smash brothers and you're like who's this guy there's only 12 characters so who's important Who who's this guy who's important enough to nintendo to show into this game and th- the game came out in 99 uh, and was uh it became uh, a commercial success for them with uh five million copies worldwide by uh 2001 yeah and and and,
1: and uh and it keeps going as mentioned to this day
0: Yes, yeah, so then I think every every platform they release a, a different Smash, as it were, and it's just a great, and they add more, more and more and more and more and more characters as they have more and more characters to add, and they, it's usually all Nintendo property characters from the, I know, or at least Nintendo, like, I know Pokemon's Game Freak, but still like Nintendo's got some involvement in there, so most, yeah, characters that are on Nintendo products. And then, um, I, there is a a game that I was, I, I really enjoyed playing. Uh, this is the one with Matt. It was the, the cruising, the USA series of games. And the cruising series was actually developed by Midway Games, who were, uh, they weren't, uh they were arcade makers. So they developed They developed and made arcade cabinets. And they essentially made Cruise in the USA in 1994. And they released it for arcades. And when the N64 came out, it was really taking a chunk. And, you know, the SNES and the NES, all these home consoles, year after year, were taking... Uh, a chunk out of Midway's pocket, as it were, because Midway had the arcade cabinets, and people weren't going to arcades because they had an arcade in their home. So Midway was like, well, why don't we just take our property and port it to the N64? And they ported the uh, Cruise in the USA series games onto the N64, and I was able to play that with my my good friend Matt. Um, And it was unique because you would you play in streets that were kind of real life, but there were like road hazards such as like oncoming traffic or construction and there was other cars and you can bang into them or jump over them. And there was, you could play as you could drive a bus instead of like all just like you think like Forza series racing games and you're just driving like, um, like souped up uh, racing cars. That's probably like, being like, what the hell are you talking about, Seth? With souped-up racing cars, but uh, with crews in the USA, you drive like you're driving like beaters, and like a, I, I, always drove as the bus. That's right. Like I drove as the <laughs> yeah. school bus, and my job was to sh- slam into as many cars as possible so that Matt could win because that's. Because I wasn't going to win. Like, I knew, like, just from the beginning, I was like, I'm not good at racing games and I don't win. So, that was my job was to just do it. And then uh, the Cruisin' series uh, became. There was Cruisin' USA, which was the first one, Cruisin' the World, and then Cruisin' Exotica, and then Cruisin' Velocity, which came out in the Game Boy Advance. Um, And apparently, Cruisin' Blast is. I'm just looking at the release timelines on. I think Cruise and Blast is back to the arcade cabinets Um, and yeah 2017 by it is by Midway but Midway went defunct in 2010 so I think it's just an updated Cruise and Blast and then the Fast and Furious arcade cabinets came from um, the Cruisin' series and yep. So, the main three were Cruisin' USA, Cruisin' Exotica, uh, Cruisin' Worlds, and Cruisin' Exotica, which were released 94, 96, and 2000. And they were just set in different um, locations, and, like, Cruisin' Exotica, you uh, ended up racing on Mars. So, like, it's kind of, the games kind of got farther farther, like, just crazier and crazier in regards to the courses.
1: So, I think for now that's going to wrap it up for the N64 episode. We will definitely return to it. Um the N64 has a massive library of games, some of most of which I still play to this day, so honestly, yeah. honestly yeah, I might it's... mention one in my like recently played uh, at this point.
0: Yeah, we don't want the uh we don't want to go on forever which we could with N64. We definitely so could. That. Um
1: but I, I for now I think we're just going to go right into our byway past segment. Uh, Seth, I started with, uh, the games I've recently been playing. Do you want to, do you want to take it away for your Biowate Pass? Uh,
0: sure, sure, yeah. Uh, so my Biowate Pass, I actually went through the, uh, the Steam store and I was looking for games and I like to try and just find games that I may not necessarily find throughout my discovery and that I'm just searching for actual games that are unique to me or new to me. And I found a game called The Murder Mystery Machine. And it's a, a from the description, a compelling interactive mystery mm-hmm. game that crosses unique puzzle-solving and deduction gameplay with a narrative that questions the very na- nature of justice. And it's coming soon. And you play as a cop and you have to solve m- murders, I guess. And you are you have, like, chart... There's, like, a, you're, like, interviewing suspects. You're having flowcharts of, like who did what with, like, this person has a relationship with this person, and you're trying to discover, like, the who, the where, the when, as the police often do, and they're, it's using, like, a isometric type of view where you're, like, wandering around the zone that you're in, and you're just trying to find clues as you search the thing. Uh, so this game so i picked this game because i i knew it was something that i don't know i it's it looks fun i i look like it looks like something that i would probably enjoy but i don't know if i would necessarily buy it personally uh i think i think i'll put it on my my pass list and if, I, but i will put it on my wish list and if it comes out and it shows up who knows i've bought games that I weren't I've bought games that I didn't plan on buying and enjoyed them and I've bought games that I really was excited about buying and did not enjoy them so I maybe who knows but I'm gonna put it on a pass and if it comes out and come and goes out if it comes out and I don't play it I I don't think I would be missing out but uh, if you like murder mystery if you like detective games and solving mysteries, Maybe you should put it on your list, and I think that it could it could be a fun game. Cool. So, what about you?
1: Well, so the game that I um, have on my buy wait pass, and uh, I unfortunately do not know when it's going out because I can't find any detail on um, anticipated launch times. But it's a game called Witchbrook, and it's developed by Chucklefish. Um, so Chucklefish is the the company. Oh that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they 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 created Starbound, and they also uh, published and helped work on stardew valley um so Witchbrook is supposed to be like a stardew valley kind of like harry potter hogwarts game um whereas in from what we know about the game from what's been what's been um uh, shown, um, you appear to be a, a magic user, like a witch or a wizard, who's attending a magic school. Um, and you you do different tasks uh, around the school, and you make friends. And I assume you do other, you know, Stardew Valley stuff. You know, probably trade things and, and create relationships and such. It's it, I love Stardew Valley, and I, I love just the idea of of kind of like an open uh like harry potter hogwarts style game so it's definitely a game that i'm going to be uh keeping my eye out for as i have no idea when it's supposed to be out Uh, it
0: says according to an article uh
1: 2022 oh okay so i I believe
0: my knowledge with chuckle chucklefish is that uh he is pretty much uh was a one-man show for a majority of Sardu. um he he did all stardew by himself uh, released it. It became much more successful than he thought it would ever be, and he has now just recently hired somebody or had a job posting to hire somebody to help him, uh, not necessarily with Witchbrook, but with managing, helping, keeping Stardew Valley up to date as well as while he works on Witchbrook. Because I think he does he does all the art by himself. He does all the programming by himself. He's he's uh, he's um, he goes by the. Um, I think he's just maybe Chucklefish. He's like a little bear for his icon for. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. For the, uh, for Twitter and stuff like that. Uh, he really great guy. Um, I, I, I'm very excited about Witchbook as well. I would yeah. also put that on a buy. For yeah, myself. yeah, it'll
1: definitely be on a buy for me. Oh
0: yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that's we're gonna we're gonna that's it for this episode. Um. So, uh, so you can listen to us, support us, and contact us in many different ways. Uh, you can listen to us on wherever podcasts are served: uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Castbox, uh, Over Something and all different stuff google podcast uh every everything is we if there's something that you listen to podcasts on and we're not on there um feel free to listen to us we do update our podcast uh every sunday we do not update our youtube every sunday so if you listen to us on podcast services you will hear us first on your podcast service because we update every sunday and then youtube we (laughs) eventually on youtube if you really want to but we're just there because we need to be there i guess Um, you can support us by listening to us and liking things subscribing to things
1: Um, or uh you can also visit our website classicgamingbrothers.com we have a store um, if you feel so inclined, you can purchase a t shirt or you can purchase a mug, and who knows, you might be able to purchase more stuff. We haven't decided. <laughs>
0: yes. You can at least purchase a t shirt and a mug, and there will be other people who are not us who will make it and ship it to you. Yeah. In fact, please try and get the right size t shirt because then it's just a pain in the butt. <laughs> because yes. Random people to do it. You can contact us by sending us an email at, classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com That's a way you can send feedback. You can also mosey on over to the Classic Gaming Brothers Lounge at www.classicgamingbrothers.com. And you can go to the contact section of the website and use that form and send us feedback. We like feedback, we like negative feedback, and we like positive feedback because we like to make sure that the audio quality and all the content is what you want to listen to. Yeah, um, we've gotten different feedback for different ways of doing things. and we actually are planning on changing things up uh, soon-ish in regards to how we sh- talk what different topics. So we'll try different topics. and if you guys like a certain topic, we we'll keep going down that route. Uh, Not're we're not we're still gonna talk about video games, but uh, you you'll see it's fun. It's always fun um so send stuff in and remember don't play games like my brother
1: and don't play games like my brother
0: i've been seth and i've been zach and we've been the classic gaming brothers we have that's right
1: that's right <laughs>
0: that's right <laughs> oh man that was good that, that was good. good that was good that we was should good. just roll the music
1: I like how we said
0: that what's good in the podcast. <laughs> okay, now
1: you're on the music. <laughs>